and he puts a knife to Ashton Kutcher's throat and says, he says like, blood on my knife or shit on my dick. (laughs) I forgot that bit. Welcome to Psycho Cinematic, a podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular film and TV. I'm your host, Stephanie Fanasia. Please note that this episode contains discussions of suicide and significant childhood trauma, including sexual assault. If this episode brings up anything for you, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13-1114 and Beyond Blue on 1300 But feel free to skip this one if you'd prefer. We'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land of which we are recording this podcast tonight, the Gunjitmara people. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening today. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. How are you going? Thank you. I'm good. It's good to be here. It's good to be here on Gujimara land in rural Victoria. It's nice to be with your family. Yeah, and, uh, it's nice to be with my husband. Do you want to talk about what you've been watching? I haven't really been watching anything. Me neither. Uh, but don't forget to join our Patreon on that note. Please subscribe to our Patreon because you get so much bonus content, including something we're recording tonight. And there's also a fundraiser currently happening for Gidget Foundation, which is probably going to have finished by the time you hear this. But there's always a new fundraiser. Please join. Please help me make a difference. So, Michael Watson, you and I were the only people who wanted to watch The Butterfly Effect through a watch party recently, and I didn't really realise why until we started watching it, and it's a terrible movie we need to do a podcast episode on. I I only agreed to watch it because it just happened to coincide with my normal Tuesday night viewing of The Butterfly Effect. <laughs> Well, aren't you just fucked up for really wanting to watch this movie so many times? No, I think it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I think it could be the worst movie I've ever seen. I didn't realise how bad it was until we watched the movie and now I agree with you. So I thought to do this episode, we would just do a blow-by-blow account of what actually happens in this movie because it very quickly becomes outrageous And I just feel like it doesn't really do the terribleness justice by sticking with our regular format, Mm. nor does it deserve our regular format. (laughs) So how would you feel if we did it that way, Michael? Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. Let's get this caravan of fucked up shit rolling. (laughs) And let us know, listeners, if you prefer us to do more movies this way. The plot of The Butterfly Effect, which was released in 2004 and starring Ashton Kutcher and Amy Smart. So growing up, Evan Traborn and his friends Lenny and Kaylee and Kaylee's brother Tommy suffer many severe psychological traumas that frequently caused Evan to black out. The blackouts start when he's little, when he does a disturbing drawing at school and his mum turns around to find him holding a knife. This leads to him going to a psychiatrist and then getting an MRI scan. And this is where I'm going to pause already because there's like two incidents that happen that lead to him getting an MRI, which is just, Michael, as a doctor, would that be the best course of action given what we see on the screen? I uh, don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's got, he's done some low grade behavior. He's got no symptoms to suggest anything happening in his brain, <laughs> which would be like, you know, weakness, like a unilateral, like one leg going numb or weak or, yeah, you know, unexplained loss of conscious. I don't know. Headache, severe headache. We hear soon that there's a backstory that his father had an illness of some kind. The two things that we see, which is a fucked up drawing, which like so many kids do fucked up drawings and also like holding a knife. Mm. Why would that lead to immediately getting an MRI? Even Mm. if there's a family history of some sort of neurological condition that doesn't equal neurological condition to me. Mm. 
Would you, Crawley? No, no, I, I agree. It's ridiculous. But it's also just like film shorthand for he doctor. gets he gets investigated by a doctor. Yes. And the doctor says, I think he needs to meet his father. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> That's the, his prescription. The results of the MRI tell me. <laughs> he needs a, a dad. There's an area here in the prefrontal cortex, which is just a little blank dad-shaped hole and that's he needs to go see his dad. Yeah. So one of the traumas that he experiences is that he goes to see his dad because that is prescribed to him, who mm. he's not met. Um, his dad is institutionalised and his name's Jason. And after having a chat with him, he then, like, blacks out and then he wakes up that he's, he's being strangled to death by his dad. And then what happens next is guards come in and then, like, kill him. <laughs> yeah, they, like, shoot him dead immediately. Do they shoot him? I feel yeah. Like- Oh, okay. oh, I thought so. Oh, right. I don't remember seeing a gun, but also I was probably busy talking like, this is outrageous. <laughs> um, so I didn't miss that. But there's so many problems with that scene in the first place. Like, why is he allowed to be completely like free reign in a room with his son if he's supposedly a man who engages in violent behavior? And the guards take so long to get to him when he's strangling a young boy. Like mm. so many inaccuracies there or just like that doesn't make sense to me. No, it's ridiculous. The and guards are trained to not kill people. And then they kill him in front of his son. Like like there's so many guards there and they just like immediately kill him. Yeah. Are they that A, incompetent and B, like don't give a fuck? This was in 2004. It wasn't like set, you know, he's a young boy in this movie but you know it's uh, late enough that they should know better to their credit one of the guards says i didn't intend to do that in front of you <laughs> for that i'm sorry and when you grow up if you still roar about it you'll know where to find me so that that's that's no good that's no good another trauma is being coerced to take part in child pornography by kaylee and toby's father george who's played by Eric Stoltz, a.k.a. Lance, in Pulp Fiction, which is, you know, a different role from what we're used to from Eric Stoltz. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't actually recognise him until, like, at another point in the future when you see him again and he's literally dressed and made up exactly the same as Lance. Is he? Yeah. The other thing that happens, like, the traumas just get worse and worse from his past and then it gets even worse accidentally killing a mother and her infant daughter while playing with dynamite with his friends which is just an awful scene Mm. and then he sees his dog burned alive by tommy who very quickly turns out to be like some sort of child psychopath and i'm not using that word lightly like he seems like a, a psychopathic kid the, the way they they make him out to be like it's an awful scene like you see a bag with a dog in it burnt mm. very traumatic and there's also like no reason why he would want to kill a dog i don't understand why he does that like he wants he's trying to hurt ashton Kutcher. he's trying to hurt Child. ashton Kutcher, but i feel like they're doing the psychopathic kid trope that they want to kill animals at the same oh time. of course of course yeah but also like we'll talk about it later but like He seems like maybe he's been really fucked up by his dad because when his dad does the pornography scene, he's sort of on the, on the stairs looking broody. And I thought that that was Anakin Skywalker's actor, but it wasn't. No. Did he grow up to be somebody famous? No. Oh, right. Okay. He just kind of looks like someone famous. He just kind of looks like him. And then, but then like in other timelines, he turns out like he's okay in the end. Yeah. And like, if he's that fucked up as a kid, he's going to be a fucked up adult. So they're all the traumas that he experiences. And so in the in the like retelling of his childhood, he blacks out when these things happen. Yeah. And we kind of find out. What has happened after like he's woken up from the blackout. Like, oh yeah. shit, my dad's trying to kill me. Oh yeah. shit. Something bad happened in the basement. Yeah. I don't know what happened after the explosion, not realizing what had happened. Yeah. So seven years later, Ashen Kucha, who grows up to be cool, hot dude. Very 2000s looking. He's entertaining a girl in his dorm room with his dorm mate, Thumper, who's like a fat goth 
Which the is the guy from he's the guy from My Name Is Earl. Is he? Yeah. Oh, good on him. We should do My Name Is Earl. Should we? I've never <laughs> no, watched it. And Thump is a cool character because for that era of film, like it's a very body positive character because he's a big guy and he gets very laid and is like a bit of a Casanova. So they didn't usually do that back then. Can I offer an alternative viewpoint? Absolutely do. The trope of, like, no matter what a guy looks like, they can always get fucked in a movie. Yes, like, that's true. I don't if know, it was a Paul fat Giamatti, girl, Louis they CK, would not be getting like, fucked. Yeah. Evan discovers that when he reads from his adolescent journals, which he manages to have kept all of, even though they literally just say dot points of what happened that day. <laughs> Yeah, it just seems like weird that he would also have kept them all in his dorm room. Surely wouldn't they be at home with his parents? Yeah. So he discovers that when he reads his journals, he can time travel and go back to his past and see what he actually missed out on, but then also redo bits of his past. So in the present day, he goes and finds Lenny, who was one of his friends, and he seems to have become like completely traumatized to the point of like not being able to function or be cognitively present from what it seems but even though like in the past like when you see after the event that traumatized him he's still like quite lucid that's not really how trauma works Mm. he finds kaylee uh who he hasn't seen since he moved um and tries to ask like what did her dad do in his basement with them and it made me really mad she gets really upset with him but like do you know what happened in that basement like, you don't have to have experienced the, tra- the uh, remembered the trauma to know what happened in that basement. And also it happened to her. So she doesn't owe you an explanation, you know, and, and clearly she's got a lot of trauma from it. And to make her, like, just randomly have to confront it head on is just, like, outrageous. And then she suicides. Well, that's what happens when you talk about your trauma. You just suicide. Yeah. You just... You just end your life. But it's a really dramatic conclusion. But at the same time, like, she could have been, like, trying to live her life and get past her trauma. He could still be her abuser. You know, given she's probably tried her whole life to move on from the trauma, the fact that he's made her confronted again could be so triggering that she could lose all. This is a funny one because, like, at some point somewhere in my study, I, um, like, tried to find some evidence about retelling traumatic events and whether it is risky and dangerous and all the evidence that i found was like no you can't re-traumatize somebody by talking about trauma but that is very out of step with the way we 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 act now like what happens in this movie is not accurate it's not going to lead necessarily as far as generally speaking it's not going to lead someone to be so re-traumatized that they'll end up ending their life but it's still not a pleasant experience to revisit yeah so we're still very conscious of that's why we have trigger warnings and things yeah yeah so he comes to realize that his time traveling episodes account for those frequent blackouts he experienced as a child since those are the moments that his adult self occupied his consciousness such as the moment his father strangled him when he realized that evan shared his time traveling affliction and oh so and so his dad i think tries to be like no it has to end with you which is why i think he strangles him however there are consequences why did they add that in like why does it need to be genetic why can't it just be a random thing they just wanted his dad to well, kill make him for some reason sense either way but also there's a cut scene uh, which is probably in the director's in cut the DVD. Kelly with the, <laughs> the textbook yeah. shots. Oh, well, seriously, there was a director's cut of this movie. <laughs> we'll get to that. So there was, a, there was a cut scene where he finds out that his grandfather could also travel through time and had blackouts wow. and was considered, like, very mentally ill and disturbed. Okay. So it's supposed to be a genetic thing, which is... But why? We'll, we'll get to, like... The, the director's cut ending, which sort of oh, okay. comes around full circle. Sure. So anyway, Evan decides to try and change the past. So he goes back to the memory of him and Kaylee in his dad's basement and gives her dad a stern talking to and says, you stop abusing your daughter. She's going to 
end her life because of it and your son's a psychopath and you know he holds up uh, an explosive so he's you know threatening to kill the dad and that apparently stops him from abusing his daughter that's what you have to you stand up to bullies you just say stop it and they stop yeah yeah my head is exploding (laughs) (laughs) like it's so problematic for so many reasons. Like, it's a mess. It's sending a message that for kids to stop their abusers, all they just have to do is tell an adult, stop doing it, mm. don't abuse me, and they'll just stop it and that will fix it. Kids cannot do that. And it also leads to, like, blaming the victim mentality of, like, why didn't you just tell them to stop? Why didn't you just leave? And I'm sure, like, kids do do that. Oh, yeah. It just doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. I'm sure. And it also just suggests that, Adults who are abused can obviously then just tell people to stop and that will fix it. And adults will say no and still get abused. That's just not what happens. And it's so fucked and mm. I hate it. Mm. I'm, I'm hoping no one who's seen this movie has gone, all right, I'll just say stop. And if it doesn't work, well, it's my fault. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. I hope not. I hope not. Also, like... So he's gone into a child's body, but he's an adult and he's gone, all right, I'll just tell him to stop. He should have told an adult if he yeah. could have, you know, spent more time. I don't know how, I don't know how this freaking um, universe works, whether he could have <laughs> like left and gone to an adult, but. You're right. He should have called the cops. But apparently it works and he's, you know, Kaylee's happy. She's got blonde hair now. She looks pretty. <laughs> So she's happy. She doesn't work in a diner because that's gross. But in that timeline, he finds himself a college student in a fraternity and he's like a dick. Yeah, he turns into a jock. He's a jock. And And Thumper doesn't like him anymore. Thumper doesn't even associate with him. So apparently because Kaylee's less traumatized, even though she'd probably still be traumatized from like, that's assuming that that's the first time he's done that to her as well. Kaylee aside and the fact that, you know, she's a perfectly happy person now because he stopped ongoing traumatic events by telling her dad to stop. That somehow turns him into being a dick, basically. How? Yeah, I couldn't, I d- I couldn't piece <laughs> I that one understand. together. Actually, yeah, it makes no sense because, like, the whole idea of him being a jock is that he's, like, rich and well-off and things. Yeah. Because I think their interaction... Ashton Kutcher asks him for the time and oh, yeah. is like, what did you forget your Rolex? Or, yeah. Like, and it's like her not being traumatised kind of lessens the traumatic load on the group of friends and that somehow leads to Ashton Kutcher, a kid being raised by a single mum with a dad in prison, getting being rich, rich. <laughs> rich enough to buy a Rolex while a college student. And also seeking out friends who are rich. Like Kaylee not being traumatised meant that he doesn't have friends with the same sort of upbringing as him, even though Kaylee goes to the same. Like it does, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Anyway, we'll move on from that tiny plot point. I, I know, but it's just interesting. <laughs> yeah, like... no, it is. Because it shows that the, the law in this movie is just outrageously nonsensical. If you boil it down, the actual hypothesis of the movie is just like trauma as this black box where you like feed people into it and the more trauma there is it, it like just drops them down to like you know ses level zero <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you had five trauma so now you are at the bottom here of of the of the human pyramid chain yeah, yeah. um uh, no only three trauma so that puts you at a you know zone four like you know yeah yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in that timeline too, Tommy like gets out of prison. He proposes to Kaylee and then Tommy gets out of prison and he's still really weirdly obsessed with his sister and doesn't want Evan to have anything to do with him, which again isn't really explained apart from that he's maybe a, an ancestral brother. So he gets out of prison and then um, tries to kill Evan and then he murders Tommy, which is definitely in self-defense. Like although... Evan takes a baseball bat off Tommy and kills him. Yes. In, and, in self-defense. And goes immediately to a maximum security prison, which I also think it's outrageous that a young white man who apparently is rich as well. 
and mm. has a Rolex, mm. would go to a maximum security prison when it's very obviously self-defense given Tommy's history that he just got out of jail. His mum explains that, you know, they're looking at self-defense to get you out of here. But surely he'd make bail, like he's got mm. no history of crime. Mm. Like if he was a black man, this would be accurate because of the racially problematic system, but not Ashton Kutcher. It gets worse. No, but I <laughs> want to tell them about this one thing that happened. <laughs> when he's in prison and he's like the, the guy who rapes the other prisoners. Yeah. And he like puts a knife to Ashton Kutcher's throat and says, <laughs> what is he? He says like, Blood on my knife or shit on my dick. <laughs> I forgot that bit. <laughs> that has traumatized me <laughs> such that I'm going to earn on average $10,000 less per year for the rest of my life. I'll never have a Rolex while I'm in at college. <laughs> because you Because heard. I was traumatized by that. Yeah, the dialogue in this film is pretty shit. Mm, mm. <laughs> so bad. Like that bit when Thumper's like, maybe don't go back and read your journals because that might fuck you up more. And he's like, you think it's going to fuck me up? You don't even know me. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like trembling, yeah. like acting so You don't hard. know my life. <laughs> I mean, Ashton Kutcher isn't a good actor. Oh, my God. Controversial opinion. Holy shit. You've said a lot of fucked up shit on this podcast, Stephanie, but... That takes the cake. Yeah. Also, there is also a cut scene where he gets raped. <laughs> like, you see him get raped. <laughs> so that's great. And uh, again, this is available on the director's cut. Who wants to watch that scene? <laughs> yeah. Why keep that scene? Just chuck it in the bin. I just can't help but think about, like, the actual production of this film where the director's like, okay... Ashton, like, this is your nude scene. You're getting raped in jail now. Can can you just, Ashton Kutcher, can you just, like, bend over and, like, <laughs> like this, is, this film takes itself incredibly seriously. So seriously. And they really, they and were really, the like. And do too. That's it. We're getting into it. Yeah. It's the Ashton Kutcher rape scene. Like, fucking hell. God. I need to also talk about the fact that while he's in prison, he wants to prove to the token Latino religious. Like the spirit, spiritual. The spiritual inmate. And he wants to try and be friends with him. So he decides to go back in time to the bit where he's drawing the, the fucked up picture when he's in school. And he, he stabs his hands with two. Mm, that's right. What is it? Like some I can't sort of, remember. Anyway. Yeah. He stabs his hands. With two protractors or something. Yeah. And then he comes back from that time immediately to where he was with the Latino inmate and goes, look. And then like, his, faux, inmate, faux his inmate thinks he's got stigmata and he's, you know, some sort of deity, which doesn't make sense because if he did that in the past, he would have had the scars his whole life. And in every other timeline, no one like is, is like surprised by whatever has changed. Yeah, you're totally right. He would have had them from day one of prison. Yeah. So, again, the way this, like, science in this movie, it, it like, contradicts itself. It's mm. so fucking badly written. Mm. So that timeline finishes and he goes back to – so he goes, he thinks, okay, well, it hasn't worked out in that timeline, so I'll go back and I will try and stop – the mother and the baby from being exploded and killed by the prank gone wrong, putting the dynamite in the letterbox. So he tries that and he gets them out of the way and he wakes up and he's a quadruple amputee. He gets out of the bed and it's really bad CGI, but I'm sure it was better back then because we've got better to compare it to now. <laughs> and he's just like, ah, I've got no arms or legs. <laughs> and it's the worst bit of any film I've ever seen in my entire life. It's so ableist and badly done and it made me laugh the first time I saw it. It made most people laugh. Whoever Did it make you laugh? Yeah. <laughs> because it's ridiculous. And it's so terrible. So that's like the negative thing that happens in that timeline is that he becomes a quadruple amputee. And because Kaylee is obviously, you know, not the perfect person, she's with Lenny instead of him. And he's really down on himself and he hates that he doesn't have any arms or legs. And it's so ableist. 
like there's no consideration for the fact that maybe Lenny's actually a decent guy and maybe they're happy and deserve each other. But it's also suggesting that Kaylee wouldn't consider, of course she wouldn't consider Evan because he's disabled. Oh, no way. (laughs) So it's just bad, bad, bad in terms of ableism. So bad. You know, everyone else is happy otherwise. But he goes so far as to attempt suicide from what happens, which is, again, super ableist and fucked up. Exactly as you say, it's fucking ableist as fuck. It's just equating having a disability to having a shit life. And, like, that's the outcome. Like, everyone's alive. Like, that's the outcome. And it's like, nah, can't have this. Nah, awful. Like, he gets no credit for self-sacrificing to save a mum and baby and like he hasn't changed fundamentally in any way other than the loss of some limbs Mm. so So, yeah Kaylee's like not interested in him yeah and you can pretty much prove that it's purely because of the fact that he is disabled yeah and like when you look at the flashbacks which is so tacky the way they did it you know of, of all the stuff he missed out on it seems like his life was pretty good Like, nothing Mm. bad happened from those two points of time. Yeah. Except his mum is driven to smoking after the accident and what happened to Evan. So she has lung cancer and is going to die. Yeah. Wait, is that in that timeline? I can't remember. At some point, the consequence is that she takes up smoking. Yeah. And she dies. Because, you know, whatever happened made her smoke and, like, he, 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 he wasn't around to stop her from smoking. What? So at some point they establish that he's always there telling her not to smoke. Oh. And then the consequence of one of his revisions is that he's not around. Oh, I my God. I can't remember why. So he doesn't tell her not to smoke. So she... she so she smokes. To the point to that the point she gets that she cancer and dies. And dies, yeah. You, you see a flash of, like, an operation report. She's having a biopsy of <laughs> one of her masses. And they've just written in the clinical history, like, which is the spot where you'd be, like you know, 51-year-old female, persistent cough with hemoptysis, night sweats, loss of weight, All those whatever. Symptoms, yeah. But they've just written 15-pack-year history, <laughs> which is smoking a pack a day for 15 years, which is, like, decent, but not enough to cause lung cancer, really. But I just, I feel like maybe maybe that has happened and maybe lung cancer can come from that, but it's such a reductionist view of cancer and that she smoked and therefore she got cancer and that's just not how cancer works, is, well, and is it's, it? Not really, and it's not how trauma works either. You no. have trauma and your life is fucked now. Like, Yeah. It disregards the complexity the- of risk. Of risk, yeah, but also, like, you know, he blames himself for not being around, so he made her smoke and uh, he stopped her from smoking and then Ash is going to die. Like, it's such a weird bow to draw. Mm. And it's very, like, sort of narcissistic in a way. Like, it pins the outcomes... Of everybody in his whole life on on himself. On this one person. And that's what also really I hate about this film. No one has autonomy. No one can make the decisions for themselves and his behaviour impacts what decisions other people make. Like he's so important and they don't think for themselves, which is just a horrible way to see mostly women in this film. Like Kaylee, we haven't got to it yet, but one of the storylines, she's a sex worker. And it's like because of whatever happened she's chosen the wrong path of being a sex worker, which is also very sex worker negative and, yeah, just pretty problematic in itself. The only way that she can have a good life is if Evan stops her dad from abusing her. Like, she has absolutely no say. She has no autonomy in making her life better for herself, which is just a horrible way to view the person that he's supposed to be in love with. Yeah, completely. It, and it's always the women, it's her and the mum who would just, just fall prey to their kind of fragile. Yes. Although I think Lenny's fragile too, but he's also shown to be like a less of a masculine man. Like he's a very sweet, quiet, kind sort of guy. So of course he's more feminine. And also on that point too, the way they portray Kaylee as a sex worker is like a caricature of a sex worker. She's dirty, she's got ratty hair, she's got bad teeth, she's got sores on her face, so there's some drug addiction coded there, I think. Oh, totally. And it's like early 2000s was the height of that, like, crack den kind of panic around, like, 
because she's she's got like a big scar on her face and like scabs on her face and yeah teeth are falling out and shit and it's just yeah that was very much in vogue at that time just a horrible view of sex work and how like that's considered the worst possible outcome for her is to be a sex worker and Mm. to be a sex worker means she's gonna be clearly not in a good way which is also very 2000s like Mm. that's how it was always seen Mm. back then again like she has no autonomy and she's just stuck here because of what's happened to her which is also a terrible view of women as we just said So from this point, he kind of starts to realise that even though his intentions to fix the past are good, his actions have unforeseen consequences and nothing he can do will make everyone happy. Someone, either himself or at least one of his friends, will suffer horribly. Also, which is a weird part of the film, the assimilation of dozens of years' worth of new memories from the alternative timelines causes him to have brain damage and severe nosebleeds. I had the privilege of having headphones on to listen to <laughs> while watching this movie, and the sound effect that happens when like the new memories are kind of being uploaded into his brain <laughs> is fucking disgusting. It like, sounds like... Flesh being torn and bones uh, cracking. It was just that's, that's how memory works. Fucking <laughs> and it made me think that, like, if pushed, maybe the screenwriter would be like, oh, yeah, all those new memories are going into his hippocampus and it's expanding. And Well, I think they're supposed to tell you that his mind is, like, swelling from all the new memories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is ridiculous <laughs> because if that was how memory worked, old people would have massive brains. <laughs> and it's the opposite. And I guess maybe maybe they did look into that. I had no evidence that they did. But maybe they did look into that. And given that this is all happening, like, at the one point in time is going to all these timelines, he's still the age he is. Do you know what I mean? He's coming he's, back to the same age he is. So he, he should have the same amount of memories as he would have. Well, independent of what he did. Well, they don't explain, like, are these timelines, are these alternative universes? If it's the same brain going through all these things and he's gone back to the past and changed it, then shouldn't his brain just have the new memories in each timeline? Like he should wake up in that new timeline having forgotten all the other things that have happened. But that obviously hasn't happened. But please explain. (laughs) That's not how it works. It cannot be explained. It's just like, let's make a time travel movie like this, but let's make it not follow the same logic as other time travel movies do. Also, even though we sort of see him, like, download all the new memories, he doesn't seem to know what's happening. He doesn't realise, oh, I'm a jock now. And then when he sees his mum and he's dying, he's like, oh, that's right. You, mm. you took up smoking. Like, yeah. he's, like he's, He needs to rediscover every time. Yeah, so he, clearly he hasn't downloaded all these movies. Most movies. <laughs> it's like a movie. He clearly doesn't remember everything. Mm. Mm. So eventually... After accidentally killing Kaylee while revisiting their childhood, I think it was the explosion or something, he wakes up in a mental hospital and finds that the journals do not exist in this new reality. So he can't go back to the past. And this is another very ableist trope where everyone thinks he's crazy and being crazy is the worst thing to possibly happen to him. The mental institution trope is used again. And the same doctor's there. Of course. He's the only doctor in this town. (laughs) And what does the institution look like again? I could be getting mixed up with Moon Knight, but did it have like all mumbling people dribbling in wheelchairs and things like that? I think so. I obviously didn't recognize it as anything other than that, so I assume it did. He has a conversation with the same doctor, which reveals that his father had the same abilities before losing the photographs that allowed him to time jump. And that caused everyone to believe him to be crazy. So Evan ultimately reaches the conclusion that he and his friends will never have good futures as long as he keeps altering the past. I think he asks his mum to bring some old movies, uh, old home movies. So she does bring them. And then he travels back one final time to the day he first met Kaylee as a child. So he travels to the day he first met Kaylee as a child and he intentionally upsets her when he first meet her so that she and Tommy will choose to live with their mother in a different neighbourhood instead of with their father when they're divorced because Kaylee stays with her father to be closer to Evan in the first timeline. Again, he's so influential <laughs> that 
he prevents her from getting trauma by being mean to her when he first meets her, which is just fucking weird. It's like the end of what's that movie with like the big like yeti monster and they're like at the end they need to <laughs> release it back harry into the and the hendersons yeah it's like can you see, can you see we don't want you <laughs> that's exactly what hurt he's him to, to save her <laughs> yeah and he says like if you come close to me i'm gonna kill you and your whole family <laughs> and she's like oh well I guess I won't be his friend anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, as a result, they're not subjected to destructive upbringings, don't grow up with Evan and go on to have happy, successful lives. But like, it also assumes that they didn't have any influence of the fact that their dad is a creepy pedo fucko before that. It's just not accurate. And it just goes to show that like, Evan is the common denominator in all the fucked up shit that happened. So maybe he should have recognized that He should have just killed himself. Well. Michael, there is an alternative ending. Oh, my goodness. Did you not know this? No. Oh, my God. Michael, wait till you hear this. (laughs) So in the theatrical version, after that scene, he wakes up in his college dorm room, the same dorm room as before, the same posters, but Lenny is his roommate. And he asks where Kaylee is, and Lenny's like, who's Kaylee? So he's he's done it. His friend's futures are secure. Evan burns his journals and videos to avoid altering the timeline ever again. And then eight years later in New York City, there's Ashton Kuja with a really hot, slick back hairdo because he's a business boy. <laughs> and he exits an office building and passes Kaylee on the street. They briefly look at each other, but both keep walking. And that's the end. But, Michael... There's an alternative ending Mm. where instead of getting the video for when he first meets Kaylee, he gets the video for his mum gives birth. And then he goes back in time to when he was a fetus in his mum's room and strangles himself with the umbilical cord to abort himself and saves everybody. (laughs) Oh, my God. What the fuck? (laughs) I almost forgot that that existed. Is Is this viewable? On the director's cut. Oh, my yes. God. And that is so stupid. Where do you start with how problematic that is? <laughs> Firstly, like, you should kill yourself for everyone else's happiness. A negative trope. Secondly, how can a baby... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with no muscles. A fetus doesn't have the dexterity system. to wrap a cord around himself <laughs> intentionally and kill himself. Fuck no. <laughs> In the age of reversing Roe v. Wade, this could also be used as, like, you know, uh, promoting the fact that people believe that, a fe- you know, a fetus is still a person with autonomy and shouldn't be aborted. Mm. Like, that's just the, that's one way I read it, too. Like, if a, a fetus can do that, decide to kill itself. Then then rape fetuses should just should just, The body has ways of shutting these just things shutting down. Just shutting the whole thing down. Yeah, exactly. And, like... You would think that the point of this movie is that, like, no matter what happens in your life, there's going to be good and bad outcomes. Yeah. And imagine if you could change it. Imagine Wow, some things would be good, but there'd be other unintended consequences. Mm. So you just have to be happy with your life, the way it pans out, and make the most of it. Yeah. But then to give it that ending... (laughs) It's like you should just... It completely undermines any message of the film it just makes it this like pornographic it's like a corn music video but feature length like it's (laughs) fucking stupid well it just also opens it up to like how does this even work there's a website called tvtropes.com which i always refer back to because it always like it overthinks things more than we do (laughs) it lists every single trope that a movie uses and it's just very comprehensive and one of the tropes it uses is the grandfather paradox which is like no matter what ending you watch or what ending you want to prefer the plot is resolved in a manner that would make it impossible and or unnecessary for evan to ever travel back in time and influence past events which means he never traveled back in time and changed the timeline which means evan went back in time and changed the timeline which means he never traveled back in time which means he did which means he never did which means he did right (laughs) like If he wasn't even born, then this movie wouldn't exist, you know? 
There's also a, a cut scene as well where his mum says that she had a couple of stillbirths uh, or miscarriages before he was born. So that it assumes there's the assumption that those babies also did the same thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> Who knows also, what they prevented? Also a palm reader. He goes to a palm reader for some reason. The reader tells Evan that he has no lifeline. Oh, oh my God. It's a uh, foreshadowing. This is some hard science fiction. Hard science fiction. Like the other thing that I was thinking about, the early 2000s was also the time when we opened our movies with pithy quotes that kind of <laughs> summarise the movie. And and in this, you know, it's the... The chaos theory. Yeah, yeah, that like, you know, if a butterfly flaps its wings in the Pacific Ocean, it can spiral out of control such that it causes a hurricane yes, on the other side of the world. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. And like the idea of that is that the smallest thing through cause and effect leads to massive, massive consequences. Mm. But in this movie, he averts... Child pornography, (laughs) babies getting exploded, dogs getting burnt alive. These are major, major events. And also, like, there's one timeline where Tommy becomes, like, a devout religious do-gooder. Like, he even influences people's innate personalities. Yeah. And erases their reaction to trauma. But, like, what might have been the more interesting film, which is obviously was never on their agenda, but was if it actually was tiny little yeah. events that and then you had see massive why. repercussions yeah. and tweaking those little things. And making it all connected. Like, maybe that's an interesting movie. I want to say that this Not is- that this isn't an interesting movie, sorry. I will just say that. It is interesting. I mean- like how it, it's interesting to unpack how terrible it is. Yeah, like I was interested. We like <laughs> in the same way you're interested. The way in... I'm the same way I'm interested in watching like a calf being born. <laughs> like this was the, like it's the worst written movie ever. And I, I, when it came out, I was like, this is just Donnie Darko light, and I was right. <laughs> Well, it, it's kind it of like... it came out after Donnie Darko. It came out in that sort of run of like Donnie Darko and Memento and these like mm. heady kind of concepts. Memento was a fair bit earlier, I want to say, but fair, yeah. yeah. But it was kind of trying to be like the lowest common denominator. It was trying to make those movies cross over mm-hmm. to people who watch movies at Hoyts. And I looked into who actually like was the writer. There was two writers and directors of this film. So like a duo wrote and directed it. And I was like, okay, what's well, that? As in the same that. two people were wrote and directed or yeah. two writers and two directors? No, the same two people. Okay. So there were a guy called Eric Bress. So this is what Eric Bress looks like. Like very Hollywood, he looks like middle-aged a director. Valley Mel Gibson. Yeah, he looks like like you saw Mulholland Drive, like the director in Mulholland Drive. <laughs> and this is the other guy, Jay Mackay Gruber. Okay, like he's a very white old Hollywood man. Sure. <laughs> and they did nothing else particularly good. Eric Brestia, the Final Destination movies. Ah, right. Okay. And he also did like very. Um, Carl XY. Carl XY, you know, your favourite. You know, I was like, were they coming from a place of wanting to look at mental illness or um, look at trauma and trying to change and heal from trauma? Fucking no. They definitely weren't looking at it from that point of view. They were just... I mean, there's really nothing written about either of their backgrounds or anything apart from what movies they've done. But Like they never did any interviews or any like... No, nah, they were just wanting to make money. Yeah. Definitely wanting to make money. Jump and on also, the Ashton train. Well, on that note too, Ashton Kutcher had come from Dude, Where's My Car and all these sort of early, fun, funky sort of, you know, everyone loved a bit of Ashton and he was like the jock. So he wanted to do something to make himself seem a bit more serious and prove that he could act. And it's like they were like, hey, Ashton, get on our train. Hey, come on, come over here. I mean, another another one of those movies would be Eternal Sunshine, which was Jim Carrey trying to show off. Exactly, but he did a better job because he could act. (laughs) 
But Ashton took it super seriously that he did quite a few interviews and he was saying this, I'm just imagining him being like, I looked at the character from the get-go when I read the script and I thought, okay, in real life, what would this guy's illness be? What would his mental disorder be? So he thought it was like dissociation disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder, which I guess is, you know, if, if you didn't have any clinical background, you'd probably think that. And then he says, he blocks out all these traumatic moments in his life. And I thought to myself, wow, what a fantastic metaphor of how people are in everyday life. We block out the traumatic stuff that goes on in the world. That's the reason why pedophilia in the movie is frightening to us, because it's something that as a society of people we block out. We decide not to think about the fact that somewhere a baby got blown up. (coughs) (coughs) Sorry. (laughs) Or that in some country halfway across the world there are five-year-old girls being prostituted out in a brothel. Fucking hell. To start with, I thought, what a great metaphor for people in general and then what a great character and this is his disorder then psychologically I thought okay in our lives can we go back into our pasts and change the mistakes we've made the things we've done wrong the relationships that we have wronged and I thought to myself absolutely (laughs) every time you have a relationship that's not working you've done something wrong can you fix that you can call that person up or get with that person and go I made a mistake I screwed up let's mend our relationship so you can change your past today right now what but that is not the point of the movie. <laughs> he's completely misunderstood the movie did that he, he started. Did he remember the bit where he had to pretend he was going back in time to kill himself as a fetus? <laughs> Poor sweet Ashton. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this is going to be a meaningful movie for about society. <laughs> Somewhere a baby got blown up. Like, what the fuck? Also, it's, it's worth knowing he's current day, you know, as he's grown up, he's posted a lot about mental illness and does seem to care a lot about it he's also like contributes or he's set up a fund to stop child trafficking he's had a journey as an actor still a bad actor really wish he was a bit older more mature and looked at the script and went this is terrible (laughs) this is not going to be actually particularly great for my career it should never have been made no i mean he become became steve jobs in the end but that was Which like probably wasn't off the back of this film i didn't see it he's got no cred whatsoever no. Well, I have to just mention one other thing too about Ashton Kutcher because it's relevant. There was this really inspirational porn Instagram post on a like a movie Instagram page that I followed and I don't think I do anymore because it pissed me off. And it was about the fact that Ashton Kutcher has a twin brother who has cerebral palsy and it was like, Two boys born at the same time, one suffering from bad health and one healthy who went on and studied. So he was like a biochemical engineering student when he was discovered by a talent scout. So he's obviously Uh. actually pretty intelligent. So, yeah, this post was like, you know, he goes to university, then he gets discovered and he becomes a really famous actor and he supports his brother and he cares about, you know, disability advocacy and stuff. And it was just like, good on you, Ashton, you care about your brother, even though he's disabled. Like, it was so inspiration porny. And I, like, commented, I was like, can you not use words like suffering and, you know, commend an actor? He doesn't need any more commendation. He's very rich and famous and powerful. He'll be fine. And I got, like, lots of negative comments. Oh, Steph, I hate hearing these stories. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's all right. I was fine. Yeah, good. I was just like, fuck it. (laughs) It is interesting, though, because cerebral palsy is like a disability birth complication yeah, sort of yeah. thing. Like, we don't quite understand it, but we think it's from, like, not getting enough oxygen to the brain. That, is, a, that is one of the correlations slash causations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is interesting to think, like, one twin goes through all right and the other one has CP. And then thinking about that in the context of, butterfly effect like (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i don't i'm not gonna i'm not arriving at a conclusion or anything it's just with that history why did ashton sign up to this project also the fact that he did that scene was like i'm disabled i want to kill myself my brother's disabled and i don't want him to kill himself why would i do that that's so bad he should have known better yeah yeah should have really ugh yeah. Ashton. Ashton. Come on, mate. But yeah, I just feel like the message in this film is like, 
if trauma happens to you, unless you can literally change the past, which Ashton thinks you can, then you're going to have a fucked up life in some mm. way, particularly if you remember that trauma. Because, you know, when we first see him, he's a college student. He's having jokes with the college professor about Pavlov licking balls. He's you know, a cool dude. People get along with him. He seems like a kind, nice guy, but he doesn't remember his trauma, so he's okay. Mm. But if he goes back and remembers and also the people in his life who do remember the trauma are so ridiculously fucked up mm. and they seem to just have no hope. You know, Kaylee's suicides, Lenny's sort of catatonic almost it seems, and then Tommy is uh, in jail. So there's no hope. The only way to fix trauma is to stop it happening or not remember it, which is very ableist and bad mental health. So hopeless for anybody who has trauma who's working on processing it. Yeah. It is completely silent on the fact that you can go and talk to somebody about your trauma and work on it and you can't erase what happened, but you can process it. and You can start the healing journey from it. And also no one wants trauma to happen. It would be better if it didn't. But also it, it can influence the person you are today and sometimes that person you are, there's elements of that person you are that you like, that you want to stick around. Yeah. That's kind of all I really wanted to say about the butterfly effect. This is obviously a shorter episode than usual, which is maybe a welcome relief from everyone, but I just... I don't say things like that, Steph. Delete that. Keep it in. (laughs) But yeah, I just really needed to do an episode about how bad this movie is. And if you love it, good for you. There's so many movies of this era. And when, when I recorded with Indy, she was like... Butterfly Effect was of the time in the 2000s. Like, you can't help that. That's the time of movies. But I think the whole point of this podcast is obviously (laughs) to criticise. But also, I think anyone with any compassion for and understanding for people with actual lived experiences of what happens in this film would know that this is a bad take and that we shouldn't do this. And it sounds like most of the influential people working on this film did not come from a place of lived experience. So... They should have thought things through a bit more. I don't think I'm being unreasonable in saying that this film has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. Mm. And even almost 20 years ago, we were in a place where we could have done better as a society. But it's also nice to know that, you know, when we pull apart movies that came out in the last few years... Most of them are better than this. They're better than this. So things are improving. Like if you tried to make this movie now... People would be like, fuck off. There's no way you can make this movie now. (laughs) And, you know, I feel like the people who are making movies like this in that era who are the sort of people who have been around for a long time in the industry or, you know, just sort of kind of making a buck, most of those people have sort of either aged out of Hollywood or are sort of less favourable now because people want things that matter a bit more, like... We're in the age post Me Too and the arts world, I think, is is moving to be more inclusive and basically nuanced. <laughs> so you won't see films like this anymore and if, if they are, they've gone straight to DVD and most people wouldn't be watching them and if they are, I, then... Well, you've found your market. I found, you've got a, you mar- found, you've got a, a market. market. There's a market. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Michael. Uh, I had a really good time, Steph, and I hope you you did as well, listeners at home. Don't forget to rate and review our podcast and also share it with people so that they spread the word. A single share, a single share of this podcast can can lead lead to many lots of shares. (laughs) A ripple effect. A tsunami of shares. A butterfly smashes that like button in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And, and then it, it leads to It leads to a Spotify a deal. Hurricane. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>